We are in a series called Ephesians, A Better Way of Living. And over the last month or so, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. Today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 in the beginning of chapter 6. And I, I want to just give you a heads up beginning next week. We're going to continue this series for uh, about three or four more weeks. And we're going to talk about the armor of God. We're going to talk about how as Christ followers, God has given us his armor so that we can walk in victory. And we're actually going to look at that for the next several weeks beginning next week. Um, but we've been talking about how the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he's really talking about how as, as Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus, there's a better way of living. How many of you know there's a better way? Come on, some of y'all, I know some of y'all, you knew about the old way. I know myself, I knew about the old way. I'm thankful that there is a better way in Jesus, amen? There's a better way. And so today we're gonna talk about what a better way of living looks like in our families. Well, come on now. Some of y'all are like, oh, I need this message today. Or you just nudged your spouse. You're like, you better listen here. Your kids, my kids are in the room today because they need this message back in the back. They're already sleeping, I think, over there. But So when I say the word family, I know that that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For some of us, maybe we're married or maybe you're single. There may be uh, some in the room who are widowed. Uh, I know there are families look all kinds of different ways. There are grandparents that are raising kids. There are blended families, adopted families, right? Family looks differently for all of us. And for me, I had like all of those dynamics. I had step family, adopted family. My family was real wacky. So I, I sit here today not as an expert on functional families, but I just want to see what God's word says about how we can have a better way in our families. And so I just want to recognize that, that your family structure might look different than the person next to you. But here's something we all have in common. We all have a family, right? And so today, the principles that we're going to talk about, I believe that we can go right home this afternoon and, and apply them to our lives and we can have a little more peace in our home. We can have a little more harmony in our home. We can get along a little better with our, our, with our siblings or with our spouses or whoever it is that's a part of your family. And not only that, I believe that even though we're specifically talking about these ideas in the context of family, that they actually can apply to any relationships. That you can take the ideas that we're talking about today, you can apply them to relationships with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with uh, maybe a roommate or whoever it might be. They're really relational principles that we're gonna talk about today. The title of today's message is Family Values. Family values. Let's pray as we go into God's word today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we can find in your word. God, I pray today that you would open our hearts. God, that your word would fall on good soil and that we would apply it to our lives, Jesus. God, that you would use it to bring about change and transformation in us. Transform our relationships. Transform our families. Lord, do it by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, how many of you have been like me and you've watched a sitcom on TV, like a family sitcom? I was thinking about this, like old school family sitcoms were cut a little bit differently. Like I don't even really know uh, today's modern family sitcoms and what they would be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back if that's okay and go old school a little bit. For some of y'all, it's going to be too old school where I start, but I hope, hope to hit some, some of everybody in the room. So you know, we think about family sitcoms and maybe the families that you grew up watching were like the Waltons. Oh, come on. Some of, the, some of the people in the room remember the Waltons or the Cleaver family. Leave it to Beaver. Come on. Or uh, maybe it was the Partridge family or the Brady Bunch. Uh, all the millennials and younger people in the room are like, nope, hit me somewhere else. OK, let me speak your language. Maybe it was the Huxtable family. Come on, all right? Or I, I think most everybody in the room, even my kids know about the Tanner family. Come on, Danny Tanner, Full House, uh, Uncle Joey, Uncle Jesse. Or maybe, uh, let's see, Family Matters, it was the Winslows, the Winslows. Remember, y'all remember, some of y'all looking at me like you ain't never watched TV before, man. Look, we, we've all seen some kind of family sitcom where we've looked at it and we're like, uh, yeah, that is all good and fine for TV. But let me tell you how that situation would have played out in my house, in my family, because the TV version ain't the real life version all the time, right? Where in 30 minutes, no matter what the conflict is, it's going to get tied up in a nice little package. And by the end, Uncle Jesse and Joey are coming in. They're going to teach you a life lesson and everyone's going to have a group hug. Is that how your family works? Because that's not how it works with my kids. I can promise you that. Right. And so if we look at family sitcoms, we think, man, that's just not really reality. Well, how many of you know now is a time we're living in a time that can be really difficult for families? Here's why. We all been locked up together for about five months now. I don't know about you, but after about six weeks, it, it, it gets real hard, right? We're all on lockdown together so much. Our kids are home from school. Some of, some of us are working from home more. Others maybe are not working at all, which is stressful in and of itself, right? And so here's what happens. Over the last five months or so, we've really gotten to know our family in different ways than we ever knew them before. Even for those of us who maybe have been married 18 years, like Laura and I, there, there are things that we're probably seeing about each other that maybe we hadn't noticed before. Good things, of course, all good things, right? All good things. So I think it's important for us to acknowledge that this is an intense time in our homes. And that our routines have been hijacked. Hello? Any routine people in the room that you're like, Monday I do this, Tuesday? Like, routine is like jacked right now. It's really hard to have a stable routine. And I don't know about you, but I have personally felt some inner turmoil in the past months. And what happens is a lot of times that turmoil that we're feeling on the inside can begin to play out in our home. And the turmoil begins to spread like a wildfire, right? So if I'm feeling turmoil, it's going to, you know, it's going to affect everybody else in the house. And I believe this challenging times have the potential to either pull people together 
or drive them apart. How many of you have ever been through something really challenging, maybe on a sports team or at work or wherever it might be, and because of the challenge, it actually brought you together. It galvanized you with the people on each side of you, and you, you figured out, man, I, I care about this person. Uh, we can work good together, right? And the challenge actually brought you together. Now, on the flip side, it can, it can drive people apart as well. And so for those of us in the room who are Christ followers today, the question becomes, how do I lead my family right now during this time to value what God values? How do I lead my family to value what God values? How many of you think it's important that our families reflect the values that God has for us, right? And so the question we're going to grapple with here this morning and look at is how do I lead them in that way? How do I lead my family to value what God values? So here's the tricky part. There are actually more bad examples of family in the Bible than good examples. If you look at the Bible and you're like, okay, let's see which families really got it right. Like who was doing this thing well? I got to tell you, there are a lot of bad examples, more like what not to do examples, okay, which we can learn from those. And it actually started with the first family. Wifey tricked hubby to disobey God, you know, Adam and Eve. And oh, by the way, hubby didn't lead his home very well. Then on top of that, one son kills the other son, Cain kills Abel and runs away from home. So we've got disobey God, son kills son, run away from home. How many of you would agree that's a little dysfunctional? That's the first family, right? Fast forward a little bit. We look at the patriarchs, surely like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they had to have gotten it right. Like it had to be really good in their families. Like they're the father of Israel. They're the father of God's people. Surely their homes were like spot on. Well, look at Jacob's life. He deceived his brother Esau, his twin brother, out of his birthright, tricked him out of his birthright, catch this, for a bowl of soup, okay? Tricked him out. Then Esau wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob runs away. He goes over to his crazy uncle's house. How many of y'all have a crazy uncle? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. He goes over to crazy uncle Laban, starts working for his uncle, who then tricks Jacob to marry his not-so-pretty daughter, while Jacob instead wanted to marry the other daughter. Y'all know the story. It's in the book of Genesis. Jacob's looking to take the hand of one daughter, and crazy Uncle Laban's like, okay, well, yeah, you can have her, but first you got to marry my ugly daughter first, right? That's kind of how the story goes. That's a paraphrase. So there's a lot of dysfunction there, obviously. And then maybe we can fast forward, look at King David, right? King David, man after God's own heart, one of the greatest kings of Israel ever. Like he led the people of Israel. Surely he could lead his own home, right? Eh, not so well. He has an affair with the neighbor. The neighbor becomes pregnant. He kills her husband. That seems like the right thing to do, right? Then even within his home, he's got... uh, One child sexually assaulting another. He's got uh, one brother killing another brother. He's got kids rebelling against him, all within his own home. So unfortunately, there are a lot of bad examples 
in the Bible of what not to do with our families. So hopefully we all feel a little better right now. We're like, well, my family's not that crazy, right? That's what we tend to do. Like we look at others and we compare and we say, well, we're crazy, but we're not quite that crazy. So hopefully you feel a little better this morning uh, as, as we just think of that snapshot of Old Testament families. But we're gonna look in the book of Ephesians today, specifically in two sections. Uh, the first one's in Ephesians 5 and the second one is in Ephesians 6. And again, I want to say this. These verses address husbands, wives, parents, children. Everybody in the room fits into one of those categories. You may fit into multiple. So there's something for everyone. Let's read this together. It's going to be on the screen this morning, beginning with Ephesians 5 verse 22. And it says this, for wives, this is the New Living Translation, this means submit to your husbands. All the wives in the room said, oh, Lord, here we go again with this nonsense. As to the Lord, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her. Let's fast forward now to Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. It says this, children... my children, where are you at? You need to listen now. Obey your parents. That's the whole reason they're in church today. I'm just kidding. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life here on earth. How many of you know, if you keep mama happy, you're going to live a little longer, right? If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So summary. Here we go. To summarize those verses, here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers in particular, but parents don't provoke or exasperate your children. Okay, that's a summary. Everybody good? We can pack it up and go home, right? Wrap it up. Just kidding. So let's, let's look at the background of this text a little bit. One thing that is important for us to understand that is that at the time that this was written to the church at Ephesus, it's a much different time in families. We're talking first century families. And the, the reality at that time was that the, the home was presided over by the father. And what the father said really was what it was. It was what, whatever dad says goes. And really the, the husbands even in that time frame, in this culture, uh, in many ways, their family was kind of their property. Okay. Now, there, there are a few sayings that kind of go along with this time. It's whoever has the gold has the power. And at that time, in, in this culture, that would have been the men. Whoever has the gold has the power. Whoever has the money makes the decisions. Or might is right. We're talking about the Roman Empire. It's like dominance, show of strength, right? Okay. Well, the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, uh, let's look at Jesus' teachings And let's apply that to your family. Let's apply that to families. And it was completely countercultural at this time. And so we know Jesus is teaching all about love, right? Like sum up the law, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? 
like love covers over a multitude of sins. And Jesus just goes hard on this principle of loving other people and, and the, the person having the power using their power for the powerless. Hello? That was countercultural even in families at that time. And so Paul says, let's look at this teaching of Jesus about loving your neighbor and let's apply that to our families. How many of you think that's an important place to start applying that principle of love your neighbor, like love the neighbor that you live with? Right. And so he's he's teaching this new idea in terms of applying Christ's teachings to the family. And he begins with these words in verse 22. He says, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So let's talk about this S word submit for a minute here. Let's talk about this. And I, I just want to say this verse has been misquoted many, many times over. And taken out of context, it can be used in a very misog- misogynistic type of way, in a very uh, sexually uh, 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 exploitational type of way, that where men have maybe used this verse to, uh, like, to quote it around the house and say, yeah, you need to submit to me. Like, you, you got to submit, right? Well, I just want to draw your attention to this. Men, who is this verse addressed to? It says for, come on, help me out now, for, for wives. So guys, I just want to let you know, Paul wasn't actually talking to you right here. He wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the women. And so we don't need to go around quoting this verse because this verse actually isn't for us, guys. There's some other verses that are for us and they're coming up in just a minute. But you know, this, this verse, again, has been taken out of context, misquoted, and misrepresented. And I think what's really important for us to understand is we, in order to get what Paul is saying in verse 22, we actually need to backtrack to verse 21. And we actually, we read that verse last week, Ephesians 5.21. But I want to remind you of what Ephesians 5.21 says this week. And then we're going to look at this kind of through a different lens. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Huh. So actually this passage begins by saying that we should all submit to one another. And then, watch this, Paul applies that to wives by saying, wives, you should submit to your husbands. We're going to see what the application is for husbands in just a minute. But before we do that, let me talk to the ladies in the room for a moment. I I want you to not lose sight of your worth if you're a lady in the room. And I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul wasn't saying that you should submit to all men. That's not what it says. It says submit to one man, your husband, right? And so this isn't, uh, this isn't sexist ideology saying that women are less than men. It's actually just an ap- application of submit to one another. Women, here's one way that you should do that by submitting to your husband. Okay, everybody with me say, yeah, I haven't lost anyone yet. But really what the Apostle Paul's saying here is that it's mutual submission, that we should all submit to one another. 
Like it says in verse 21, everybody submit to everybody else in the house. How many of you think that your house might look a little bit different if everyone was trying to outserve, outsubmit everyone else? Come on. I know, I know that would look different in my house, right? That if we are all submitting to one another, there's, there's something about that that uh, creates a culture of peace and harmony, right? And so he says an application of that for wives is to submit to their husbands, okay? Now, ladies, I just want to say you actually kind of got it easy because I know submission can be hard, but he didn't say to die, right? And that's actually the application that he gave for the men. He said, men, watch this in verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave his life up for the church. And so, yes, submission is hard, but I think dying is probably harder. And so really what the Apostle Paul is saying is submit to one another. Here's what it looks like. Okay. And for men, that means laying down our lives. Now, here's what happens a lot of times. We say, man, I would gladly submit to my husband if they would fill in the blank. Man, if they just do a little more work around the house, I'd be more submissive. Man, if they just made a little more money, man, if they treated me better, I would submit easier, right? Or husbands, we might think to ourselves, I'd lay my life down, but nobody seems to care about what I need, right? So we have this idea of like submission being contingent upon the other person's actions. That's not really what submission looks like. Submission is saying, I'll go first. I'll go first. So here's what it could look like. Going out to eat with your family. You have a certain restaurant in mind that you'd like to go to. Nobody else likes that restaurant. You say, I'll go first. I'll defer. Not I'll go first. I'm going to drive to the place I like. I'll go first. Let's go to your restaurant. Y'all with me? Here's, here's a good example in our house. Some, some days when Laura and I get out of bed, it's like a race to the coffee pot. And ain't nobody surrendering or submitting that place of privilege to the first cup of coffee on most days. So maybe for me, it might look like I'll go first by letting you go first. Isn't that a good idea, right? You guys with me? I'm going to do that. Maybe. Maybe you're watching TV and you're trying to figure out what to watch on Netflix. How many of y'all hate these decisions? Where are we going to eat this week? Uh, and, the, and the questions begin and the difficulty begins. Where, what are we going to watch tonight? And you like scan Netflix for 45 minutes before you choose something. You wasted half of your evening, right? Maybe it's watching a movie and you say, you decide. You go first, right? So, you know, what happens is if we, if we aren't willing to say, I'll go first and serve you. I'll go first and submit to you. I'll go first and put you first. What happens is we get into a negative spin cycle. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Somebody's in their feelings. They start treating the other person in the house a certain kind of way. And then that person gets in their feelings and they start treating the other person. And it just, it's a cycle of negativity, right? And you don't have to be married to experience this. What if in our relationships, we would say, I'm going to stop the cycle. I'm going to defer to what they want. I'm going to defer to what they need. I'm going to put what they desire over my own desires. That's not the way we typically think, is it? 
But that's what the Apostle Paul is, is calling us as husbands and wives to do, is to submit to one another mutually, right? Imagine what that could look like in our homes. Now let's look at that section in Ephesians 6. And some of you in the room may not be parents yet, but you will be one day. Take notes. Some of you uh, are a child to a parent still. And here's what I think happens. We look at these verses and many times we think, yep, children, yep, little kids, they should do those things. I'm going to flip that a little bit on us today. If your parents are alive still, you're still their child. Is that true? So this still applies to you. There's no expiration date. It doesn't say children under the age of 16. Okay, let's read it again. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. It's interesting that everything that Paul's saying, he's looking at in light of your relationship with God, your relationship with your family should be different because you belong to the Lord, he says. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. If you honor them, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. I tell my kids all the time, if you obey, you're gonna live. If you don't obey, you're gonna die today, sucker. I'm just kidding, I don't tell them that quite like that. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So Paul begins this section and he points out the obvious order of things in the home. He says, children, obey your parents. He does not say, I just wanna point this out. He does not say, parents, obey your children. I look at some people today, nobody in this church because y'all are great parents, I promise. But I look at some people and the way they cater to the, the needs of their children and bend over backwards. And honestly, it feels like their children are running their household. And I worry for them because at two and three years old, it's maybe a little cute somehow. But at 13 and 14, it's not cute at all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He says, Children are to obey their parents. So why should kids obey? Because we said so, right? No. Anybody else's mom ever used that line? Why do I got to do that, mom? Because I said so, right? I've, I've probably said that a time or two. But there are some real benefits to obedience, actually. There are some actual real benefits to obedience for our kids and for us. Uh, there, there's this word obey in verse 1 and there's another word, honor, in verse 2. And as, as we look at some benefits of obedience, I just want to point out that obeying is in our actions, but honoring is in our attitude, right? You can obey without honoring. I can do what you ask me to do without honoring you in my heart, right? Um, and this, this principle applies for your boss at work, right? Obey, honor. These are things we can do in our workplaces, uh, we can honor with our attitude, like, yeah, I, I, I want to honor that person, but then fail to obey, like forget about the obedience part. So there's this connection between obey and honor. So a couple quick reasons why obedience is helpful. Uh, obedience is helpful because in order for a family to be functional, there has to be order, right? God designed families with a hierarchy. And so if the kids aren't obeying, your house is out of order, true? We've all seen houses like that. Hopefully 
It's not our house, right? Uh, Here's another reason. The welfare of the child depends upon their obedience, right? How many of you, I know I've had situations where I told my kids, like, stop running. Don't do that. Don't do this. And then they have an accident or bump their head or something happens. And I'm like, yep, that's stupid tax right there. No, I don't say that exactly, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, if you would have just obeyed, then that wouldn't have happened, right? So, a benefit of obedience is that uh, it protects our kids from harm. Here's another one. Come on, don't shout me down. Kids don't have the capacity. I'm sorry, teenagers. Y'all are getting close, okay? You're getting close to having the capacity to be self-governing, but you still need your parents to instill wisdom into your lives. Kids don't have the capacity to be self-governing. Come on, shout me down, parents. Say amen. They, they don't. Here's what I mean. What if your kids made the rules? Huh. Well, Xbox all day, ice cream for lunch, right? Going to bed whenever I want, 3 a.m., staying up watching Netflix, right? That's what it would look like if our kids made the rules. So they don't have the capacity to be self-governing. Why? Because they don't have life experience. Hello? They don't know what they don't know. Now, some of y'all teenagers, I see y'all, you're learning, you know some things, but you still need your parents. You still need mama. Come on, don't act like you don't. Last thing, family hierarchy with authority is designed to imitate God's spiritual hierarchy. Here's what that means. When we teach our children to obey, actually what we're modeling is obedience to a higher authority, i.e. the Lord. So if they're obeying me, how many of you know it's going to be easier for them to live a life of obedience to God? If they're honoring me, it's going to be easier for them to live a life honoring to God. If they're submitting to me, they're more likely to submit to God, right? There's this spiritual hierarchy that's kind of imitated within our families. Okay, so let's jump down to verse 4. But before I do that, I want to, I want to just... Uh, draw attention to, I believe it's verse, verse two and three. It says, honor and obey so that it might go well. Honor and obey so that it might go well. I just believe that this honor principle is for all of us. There's honor in honoring. So it's not just children obey and honor your parents. Now, obedience is a little different thing. We don't have to obey everyone, but as Christ followers, we should honor everyone right? Honor. It's an attitude of the heart toward other people. And it says, so that it might go well with you. In other words, there's a special blessing when you live a life of honor. There's blessing in the place of honor. And I just want to challenge everyone in the room today to live a life of honor, whether it's teachers, parents, the person that you meet at the grocery store in passing, We can live honorably. And when we honor others, catch this, it honors God. When we honor other people, whether it's in our family or outside of our family, it's actually honoring to the Lord. Last verse, verse four. The apostle Paul says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Provoke, that means to cause intense irritation or frustration. Well, my children are in the room and I will confess, I have provoked my children at different times. I have fallen short 
in this, in this area, right? I have provoked them. How do we provoke our kids? When we're too harsh, when we're too critical, when we're inconsistent, when we have unrealistic standards, right? We can provoke our children. Well, why is it important not to provoke them? Well, first of all, dads specifically, this is addressed to fathers. Remember what it said, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A way of submitting to our kids even in our home is in the way we treat them by not provoking them, right? Not to say that they're in charge of us, but, but we're not gonna lord it over them and provoke them, irritate them, frustrate them, right? Proverbs 15 verse one says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Look, if you'll live that principle right there out in any relationship, uh, that's land yap today. You just live that out. It's going to help you, right? We've all said something and immediately regretted it because it made the situation worse. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So now that we understand what the Apostle Paul says not to do, what does he say that we should do? Well, this is what he says. Rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So I wanna talk just for a moment as we close today about discipline and instruction. This is like freebies, parents. These are like free, quick little flashes that I hope will help us out. First thing is this that I wanna say about discipline. The motive for discipline should be love, not control. The motive as we discipline our children is love, not control. Now, again, I have been guilty of disciplining for the sake of control. You're gonna listen to me like, we're gonna have order here, right? Sit down, be quiet, right? But real discipline should be done out of love, not for the sake of control. So let's, let's correct our kids to help them, not to control them. Hello? If you're a parent, let's co correct our children in order to help them, not to control them. Now, here, here's what the result of discipline should be. Discipline should result in righteousness, not in bitterness. Come on, I know as a kid, there were times where I was disciplined and it did not lead me toward righteousness. It led me toward bitterness. And did things get better or worse for my family? Go ahead. Worse, they got worse. Discipline should lead our kids to righteousness, not toward bitterness, right? Bitterness, we know this, breaks down intimacy. It creates a barrier. And the last thing that we want as parents is a barrier between our children and ourselves. Here's a freebie, parents. In order for discipline to be effective, it must be immediate, consistent, and appropriate. I don't have time to go into that, but think about it. It needs to be immediate, consistent, and appropriate. Can I tell you, our kids actually long for discipline. They want structure. We just need to be com consistent with it. We need to give it when, when it's the right time. We need to be appropriate. Let the, let, the, let the crime fit the time, right? It needs to be appropriate. Now, last thing, I'm gonna close with this, instruction. Instruction means we need to teach our kids to follow Jesus. Hello? 
If we're not teaching our kids to follow Jesus, where will they learn? If you're going to teach it, how many of you know that you better know it? And if you know it, you better live it. If we're gonna teach our kids to love the Lord, then we first of all have to know God ourselves. Secondly, our lives have to line up with our beliefs. We need to live it out in front of them. How many of you would agree that our kids shouldn't have to guess how to live for Jesus? Our kids shouldn't have to guess what a life of faith looks like. It should be clear and modeled right in front of them. That's our responsibility. Can I tell you, that's not the responsibility of our children's ministry. That's not the responsibility of our youth ministry. Those things are to assist, to come alongside, to help you. But ultimately, it's our responsibility as parents, right? To teach our kids, to live it out in front of them. So I wanted to just close with this question. What are we spending the most time in our homes teaching our kids? And is it eternally significant? Is it eternally significant? Does it matter in the light of eternity? Right? We can teach our kids all kinds of things. We can spend a lot of time like learning about sports. That's something in our house that, you know, could very easily take precedence because all of our boys love sports. But Again and again, I try to remind our kids, sports are awesome, sports are great. We love sports, but we love Jesus more than anything. The most important thing, I don't care how great of an athlete you become, what matters to, to mom and dad is that you love the Lord, that you serve Jesus, that, that's the most important thing. What does it really benefit us or our kids if they become the next great athlete or Steve, the next Steve Jobs? the next Elon Musk, the ne next president, if they're not passionately living for Jesus. None of that really matters. And so I wanna challenge us today as parents to place the highest importance on the most important thing in our, in our homes and in our lives.